Well, good morning and welcome to Restoration Church. Well, uh, we're in this series called Leftovers, and um, we're getting toward that time, Thanksgiving, you know, time of Thanksgiving, where our, definitely our refrigerators are full of leftovers. So that's kind of our, our theme behind this, and the question that we've been asking the last couple weeks, and, the, and, the, and we'll continue to be thinking through, is it's our tendency in our life to give God the leftovers of our life. We don't give him our best, but too often we find ourselves giving him whatever's left. Now, once I did this, <laughs> and actually I've done this way more than one time, but I'll just share one story with you this morning um, to make you feel better about yourself and, uh, and, and just you know, because of our time commitment, we're just going to share one. I remember, you know, when I was single and uh, and employed, I uh, I had a hard time remembering to give. Now I'm a pastor, and I grew up in a household that went to church and followed Jesus. So giving and tithing at church, giving our finances to church, is never something that I had an intellectual argument with. We give. To God. I know that. I believe that. Um, but at this time of my life, uh, you know, I'm in my early 20s. You know, what would happen to me is I would forget to give. Pretty frequent. And I remember very, very deliberately this one time where I realized, oh, I haven't given. I forgot to give. And I started to think back, and I realized I forgot to give for probably the last six months. So usually when I would forget to give, I, what I would do is I would, then, uh, I would then try to catch up. So, oh man, I, I missed three weeks, and then I would, I would do some calculations, and then I'd try to catch up. So when I realized I hadn't given for six months, I figured out what that should be, and I went and I opened up my bank account on my computer that was about that thick, because this was the olden days, and, uh, and, I, and I, I look online and I realize with all the money in my bank account, I can't even pay my tithe. I can't, e I can't even give what I should have given the last six months, and I was like, oh man, what have I done? And then I needed to give the next week. I needed to pay my bills, you know, my car payment and all these other bills that were coming up. And I was, and I was stuck because I, not only could I not afford to give God what I knew I wanted to, but I now couldn't afford to give him even in the weeks ahead, in the weeks ahead while it was coming in. I had overspent. I had overcommitted. And, uh, and I had, and I had really, I had really messed up. Now, I know that that's my story, and that's not the only time I, I did that, but that's definitely the, the, the time that it felt the worst. And it was that same year where, you know, when the year ends and, and I'm, and I'm, I'm filing taxes, and so I got, all, you know, I've got all my stuff there, 
and uh, which is not a lot when you're, you know, when you're 24. And uh, but I, I've got it all laid laid out, and so I've got my um, my tax return statements from my three jobs I had that year, and I've got my giving statement from the church that we get every year because that because um, it's required by law for the church to send it. And when I looked at my income for the year, and I looked at my giving for the year, I w- I hadn't even come close to giving. 10% of my income back to God. Now, I don't know where you stand on that idea. Um, the, the word from Scripture that we use to describe that is tithing. And not everybody is, at the, not everybody is at the same place of understanding of that or the same place theologically for that. But let me talk about me. I believed in tithing. I wanted to tithe. And that day, as I sat at my kitchen table, I realized I wasn't doing it. What I wanted to do, I wasn't doing it. And I was living personally as a young pastor. I was living in a way where I was only giving God my leftovers. And listen, they weren't much. There was not much left over. And, uh, you know, that was me. But maybe that's something that you've done before. It might have been just a week or a couple of weeks, but you forgot to tithe, and then it's like, oh, I'm going to do a catch-up. Maybe just bills piled up. You got a car payment and a motorcycle payment that you never should have gotten, and you're now not, you've pushed yourself over the edge, and you're not at a place where you can give like you were even just a couple months before. Maybe you've neglected, maybe you thought you gave more than you did, but when you when you line up your your, your income and your giving at the year, you realize you hadn't been as generous as you thought you were. Maybe that's you and you relate to me. Please, somebody, let me know. I'm not the only one who's done that. You know what? As we open the, God's Word this morning... What, what we want to do, because when we begin to look at ourselves, we're just like, I'm a failure, 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 and we're beating ourselves down when we, but it, it, if something happens to us when we're able to say, oh, everybody's a failure, okay, I fit in at Restoration Church. <laughs> They're not perfect, the pastor's not perfect, I'm not perfect, and what that allows us to do is instead of just, instead of just, you know, with our head down and beaten down, we're able to say, all right. Well, if, they, if Pastor Nate was as much of a failure as I am, and he's learned, well, I can learn. If the people sitting next to me, they've made the same mistakes that I've made, and, and they've grown, then I can grow. And so it's kind of from that posture that we just say, okay, we're all in the same place. And what God's Word does, as we're going to look at here in a second, is, you know what? This has been going on for a long time. People have been... Have been uh, giving God leftovers for a long time. And it does not to say that we're just going to, hey, God's used to it by now. So, we, you know, uh, but, but what, we're, what we're saying is, um, all right, people have made this mistake for a long time. I'm not the first one to do it. But people have grown and learned. And if they have learned, I can learn. And if they can change, I can change. If God has grace for them, he'll have grace for me. And so that's one of the things that we're going to see. You know what? In fact, 
We've all done that. We've all given God the leftover. There's not one person here who's perfect. So many of us, most of us, have, um, have repented to God at, at some point in our life when we've been aware, hey God, you know, I've given you the leftovers. The leftovers of my time, the leftovers of my money, the leftovers of my energy, the leftovers of my worship. And we're able to say to him, forgive me for that. I love you much more than that. Um, and, and that's, uh, you know, that's just about every single one of us who, who's been there. The scripture we're reading today is about an entire group of people who were giving God their leftovers. It wasn't written to a person, but it was, it was written to a, a nation. Hey, you're giving God your leftovers. It's given to a nation. It was a nation that was set apart for God, but yet they weren't giving God their best. They were giving him their leftovers. And this passage, we, what well, we can look at it for our this morning is to say, what if this was written about our church? Is this something that could be written about our church? Now, the great thing about, uh, about talking about this message today is, man, we are in a season of generosity. The miracle offering last week, uh, the, you know, giving toward the miracle offering today, we're giving to kingdom builders above our tithe. Um, it's going to be the most amount that we've ever given together. And so this is not um, this is not in any way saying, um, uh, you know, uh, there must be, uh, you know, heating seasons coming up, and so the church is trying to get more money. It's an opportunity for us to learn and to grow, even when we're doing well. Even when things are going well, we can still just make sure we're, at, we're, we're not giving them our leftovers. So I want to read you this. It's in Malachi chapter 1. We're going to read in verses 1 through 8. And again, this is written to an entire people. There's a prophet named Malachi, and God's speaking to him to give a word to his people. And it says, The Lord of heaven's armies says to the priests, A son honors his father, and a servant respects his master. If I'm your father and your master, where are the honor and respect I deserve? So this is God asking the priests, asking the nation, where's the honor and respect that, that I deserve? He says, you have shown contempt for my name, but you ask, how have we ever shown contempt for your name? You have shown contempt by offering defiled sacrifices on my, off, on my altar. Then you ask, how have we defiled the sacrifices? You defile them by saying, the altar of the Lord deserves no respect. When you give blind animals as sacrifices, isn't that wrong? And isn't it wrong to offer animals that are crippled and diseased? Try giving gifts like that to your governor and see how pleased he is, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Now, we're not all familiar with the requirements of Jewish people that God set up for them. We're not all familiar with um, how they received forgiveness and all the, the customs and religious laws that they had to live by. But to just talk about it very briefly, the Jewish people were 
required by Scripture to bring their firstborn of their livestock and to bring their unblemished, so uninjured, they're not sick, um, to bring their unblemished livestock to the temple for, um, for sacrifice. They would then use that for, for meat, for, for the priests, and, and, and this would be a cleansing ritual and a, and a ritual that brings forgiveness to them. It was very, very important. And what they were doing is they were looking at their livestock and they're saying, man, you know, why give God the good ones? We've got these sick ones that we have no use for. We've got these crippled ones. And so let's, let's bring those ones. God's not going to care. Um, we're still doing what we want to do, but in their heart, they were giving God their leftovers. They were giving him the things they didn't want, the things they didn't need, and, um, and not the things that they were asked to bring. So why is that? Why did they do that? And we're, and we're going to look in the scripture and figure that out. And then and the question to begin to ask us is, why do we do that? You know, what I did when I was in my 20s and, you know, giving God my leftovers, what you have done in the season of your life, maybe what you're doing right now. And these Jewish people, why is it that God, who, we, who we've given our life to, who we believe in, we love, we follow, who we're so grateful for. Why is it that we give him our leftovers and not our very best? So a couple things from the scripture. Um, you know, we, we see this. Um, the first thing that God points out through the prophet Mal- Malachi is this idea of contempt. You bring contempt on my name. Now, we're not always kind of familiar with that, except in, you know, in the phrase contempt of court. But here's what that means. To treat someone with contempt means to consider them to be unworthy of respect or attention. To consider them to be unworthy of respect or attention. So what they're doing and what God's saying is, listen, you're calling me. You're calling me God of the universe. You're believing that I'm God of the universe, God above every other God. But the way you're treating me, you're treating me as if I'm someone who deserves and is unworthy of your respect and unworthy of your best gifts. It's a, con- it's a contempt. And for us, we can, we can be... Um, guilty of that same thing. God, for somehow, maybe we've never thought about that, but he's not worth it. Why is it that God has given us everything and we give him our leftovers? Now, in the scripture, in verse number eight, um, Malachi, or, or God speaking through Malachi gives this illustration, and I want us to think about this. I, in all my years of church life, have never heard this passage really 
thought through in a modern day context, and I want to take an opportunity to do that. Verse number eight, when you give blind animals as sacrifices, isn't that wrong? And he goes right here, try giving gifts like that to your governor and see how pleased he is. Let's take that idea, giving gifts, giving leftovers to your governor or your government, and uh, thinking about how they would respond. Okay, in a modern context, in modern church, our gifts toward God begin with a tithe, a 10% giving of our finances to our local church, to the church that we're belonging to. We bring that every day, every week as worship to God, or every payday as worship to God. And so what we can be challenged with, and what I was challenged with, is forgetting to do it, doing it late, doing less than we committed to, doing less than we want to, and, uh, and really we end up just saying, well, you know, God understands, or, and we make some excuses. Now, imagine with me, we take this verse and try to process it through. Imagine giving gifts to our government the same way we give gifts to God. So here's, a, here's an illustration we can understand. God, we make a commitment I want to follow you with all my life. I'm going to honor you with a 10% tithe. Our government, we make a commitment. I'm a citizen of this country. And so they ask even more than that. Um, uh, so, you know, um, for, for the median um, income of New Hampshire, that's about 20% of your income is to go towards your government. So that's what they've demanded. And they don't wait for you to give it. They just take it right out of your paycheck. But that's what they've demanded. So you're going to give us 20% of your income so we can pave your roads, we can um, uh, uh, have, you know, you know, really nice buildings at the, at the <laughs> D.C., and, so, and a bunch of free um, museums. So th- this is what they've demanded. Now, imagine for a moment you handled your taxes the way you handled your tithe. How would the government respond to that? Would they come in and say, oh, I get it. You bought a motorcycle and a car, and you can't afford to pay your taxes. All right, let's catch up later. Um, If you owe 20% taxes and you give just 8%, even if you just give 18%, or if you give 0%, what excuse would the government accept? Are they just going to say, hey, thanks so much for the effort, Thanks so much for trying. No, they are going to garnish your wages. If you're not familiar with that is, they take your entire paycheck before it ever hits your bank account until you're paid in full. They're going to garnish your wages. They're going to put liens on your house. What that means is you have equity in your home or any value in your home. And so what they say is as soon as you sell that, we're taking all the profit until you're paid in full. So they're going to garnish your wages, they're going to put liens on your house, and then they're going to imprison you. And it doesn't matter what kind of a bunker you live in, they're going to wait you out, then put your hands behind your back, and then place you in prison. That's how the government responds when we give them our leftovers. And what God's trying to get us here to understand is, why do we treat our government better than we treat our God. When God's given us everything, 
and our government gives us tax increases. God gives us everything, you know, and our, our government gives us uh, uh, stuff to watch on the news. Why do we treat our government with more diligence? And very few people are complaining week to week, the gov- all the government wants is our money, and they don't even think twice about that money coming out of their paycheck every single week. The question that we ask ourselves, and this is a, and this is maybe an awkward question, for those of you who struggle with giving. But the question we ask ourselves is, who do you love more, God or the government? Who do you love more? And when we say, I love God more than the government, of course. But then we begin to ask, but why then do we give God our leftovers? And we give the government our very first and our very best. Before we ever touch our money, we give, God, we give the government a portion of it. Now, part of it is we don't have a choice. But you can try to live illegally. Um, and, and people do try that. Now, the, so here's a question. This principle, uh, one question I get asked a lot is, Pastor Nate, should, do, should we tithe off of our take-home pay or should we tithe off our, the gross of our pay? Should we tithe off the net income or our gross income? And um, here's, here's, how I, here's how I teach that. If you give off your take-home pay, your net income, you've given to God second. You said, all right, government, take what you want. Now what's left, God, I'm going to give you from that leftovers. And you've placed the government on a higher pedestal than, than, than your God, your Lord and your Savior. So we don't, and, and if you say, well, I, I tithe off to take home and then I tithe off my tax return. If you punch those numbers, it does not, it does not equal a true tithe. So what we're trying to do is people say, Jesus, you've died on the cross. You've saved me from my sins. I owe you my life, my everything. I trust you with everything. It is our heart's desire to say, God, I want to give you my very best. My best attention on a Sunday morning, my best performance at work, my best, um, uh, all of my heart during times of worship. Every minute of my day, God, I want to be yours. And, that, and we're processing it that way. When we tithe off our net income, we don't often think we're giving God our leftovers. It wasn't until the 1940s that the, that the taxes came directly out of your paycheck. So before that, for all of history, before they invented that, um, what would happen is you'd receive your income, you'd give to God, and then you'd go and give to the government. You'd have to mail a check or drive it over. And so for all of history, that's how it was. So what we want to do is begin just making sure we're doing... Because where people who are generous, people who are following God and obeying God, we're then now just beginning to check, God, are there areas where there's still parts where I don't trust? Are there areas where I'm still giving you leftovers? And we're just, we're just checking it over. We're just checking it. These are the, some of the preventative maintenance things that we're doing in our spiritual life. So the next thing that it says here in the scripture is in verse number 13. 
And one of the reasons why we give God our leftovers, so it's first is contempt, but the second reason can be discouragement. Verse number 13 says, you say it's too hard to serve the Lord, and you turn up your noses at my commands. Now, their attitude was a little bit more than discouragement, but for us, we're like, you know what, I want to do it, but it's so hard. I've got these bills, I've got these problems, I've got these expenses, um, and I'm struggling. And, we're, and we get discouraged. I don't know if I could ever do it. I've tried it, you know, I've, I've tried so hard, I've wanted for so long, but I've never been able to do it. And, we, and we've struggled with that. And what happens is when we begin to think the pressures and demands that God's put on me in my life are too difficult to ever do, then we don't ever try to do them. We just give up. And, and some of us are there. We're giving God our leftovers and believing that's all we're ever going to give. We've gone through seasons of giving leftovers, and we felt so guilty about it and bad about it that we gave up giving altogether. Um, some of us are, there's no joy in giving, but we, we, we talked about that last week. There is a joy in giving that God wants for you and has for you. It's a joy in, um, you know, in, in, in making a pie and giving it to someone, a lot more joy than giving them a pie dish with a bunch of graham cracker crumbs and, and one last piece of pie that you've already bitten out of. Like, here you go. <laughs> Sorry, I got hungry on the drive over. What that joy does is to say, God, I'm not going to treat you with contempt. You're my God. Jesus, you're the name above every other name. You're the name above every politician running for government. You're the name above every neighbor. You're the name above every bill collector. You're the name above every other name. And they're demanding I honor them. But you don't demand I honor you. You invite me into this. So as worship, God, as a way just to show you that you're my God, I give to you first. I give to you my best. And when we get discouraged, we say, God, I've got all these bills piling up. I don't know what to do. We say, but God, I trust you. And say, God, I can't, there's, I, I can look at all of this. I can punch all the numbers and I can come to one conclusion. I can't do it without you. And so, I honor you. I trust you. I give to you first, believing that you supply all my needs according to your riches in Christ Jesus. And we worship him in good times and in bad times, in times of prosperity, in times of, of shortage. God always gets our best. If we were living during the Great Depression and we and, and we barely had enough for ourselves. If a person of honor came to our home, we would do every we would give them the last bit of our portions to honor them. And when they say, No, 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 you you need this, you need this, to say, let me serve you, let me bless you. And it's that same motivation from our heart to our God who gave us his son 
who gave us heaven, who gave us forgiveness, who gave us everlasting life. Even if we're guilty of having given him our leftovers, one, he's not ticked off about that. He's not mad at you. He's not furious. But he's inviting you to, to trust him more. He's inviting you to experience him more. So what now? If you've been given leftovers and maybe you're just realizing that you have been giving leftovers, what now? It's a couple of things. Make changes, not promises. And what God was telling them in this scripture is you're making all these vows that you're going to do it and you don't do it. Don't make vows and make promises. Just do, just, just do it. Just do the things that you're going to do. And it requires, I mean, it does require changes. If you mathematically can't afford it, then you have to make changes and you begin getting us, you just begin that process of, of trusting him and letting him show you that he's got you and that he's going to care for you. We give first, not second. We just begin it. God, who am, I, who am I giving to? Am I giving to the government first or am I giving to you first? Am I giving myself first or am I giving to you first? And we begin to shift things and give to God first. Dave Ramsey, one of the quotes that, one of the things that he teaches and that he says, so he's a national uh, 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 radio guy who teaches about finances. Um, he says, if you get all the way to the end of your budget and you can't afford to give, the problem is your budget's upside down. You start with giving and then move down the rest of your expenses. And we do that. We make that process and make that change of doing that first. And then the, the last thing is what do we do about this? We give right, not leftovers. So we give with a right heart. We give in a right order. We give in a, in a right amount, an amount that God's called you to do. And we, don't, and we don't give them our leftovers. So what that means for different one, for every single person here, and what you got to do this week, and maybe there's nothing you have to do this week except praise God that you learned those lessons a long time ago, but still try to just be diligent. God, am I just doing this out of obligation or am I doing this because I love you? So what if we all did this what if we put God first, if we gave him our best? He says here in verse number 11, he says, uh, but my name is honored by people of other nations from, from morning until night. All around the world, they offer sweet incense and pure offerings in honor of my name, for my name is great among the nations. And he's saying, hey, you're my people. You're not even doing this, but around the world. We think about this time in history, Around the world, people will bless me. And he was speaking future forecast of us. The people who weren't Jewish are going to know me and follow me. Um, but what happens when we do this? God's name is honored. His name is lifted high. He's blessed. He receives honor. He receives worship. And this is the motivation of our heart, not to check off a religious box, but to honor God with our whole life. If we give God our best, we receive favor from Him. And if we all did that, what would that do in our community? What would it do in our church? What would that do in our family? 
the trickle-down domino effect is that God is glorified. Those who are far from him have the opportunity to hear from him. We have ability to affect not just our service, but affect the world through kingdom builders, through outreaches. And that's what God wants. He wants us to lift up his name high in our own life, that his name will be lifted up high around the world. You close your eyes. I want to take a moment and pray for you. Jesus, you know, we can be embarrassed and say, we're just like, man, I, you know, I just can't even believe what I've done. We can be beaten up. We can be beaten down. But that's not our intention at all because we were all there and, and, and many of us are there. We thank you for your grace and your kindness and your, your compassion that you don't ever treat us the way the government would treat us. You don't garnish our wages. You don't imprison us. You don't make us miserable. You're just gently encouraging us. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. I have more for you. I can want to reveal more to you. I want you to experience this. And you're just offering us to give another piece of our heart towards you, another piece of our life towards you. You'll be patient. As long as we need, you'll wait. But I just pray for every person that they'll, that they, you know, they will make the changes necessary. That they'll be able to experience you in this way. And that they'll experience what I did, um, what I did when finally, finally, I was able to make the change and to, and to set up the system in my own life to be diligent and how freeing and joyful it was for me to bring a gift to you first and not after I remembered. And how I know how much that did in my relationship with you and even how much it did in, in, my, in worship services with you. And I just pray this blessing on every single person. And lastly, lastly Jesus, as we celebrate baptisms today, we recognize that if, that if we, if the entire church had only given you our leftovers, we wouldn't have these buildings, we wouldn't have um, the, you know, the parking lots, we wouldn't have the heating systems, we wouldn't have the chairs or the pews, we wouldn't have the staff, we wouldn't have the, you know, the Bibles to give away. But it's because of people giving you their best that now they've received, that other people have received your best, they've received your son Jesus into their life. We thank you for that, for every person, not just today, not just last week, but for decades and generations, they've been, they've been honoring you in this way, and our families haven't changed generations ago. Our church has been built from people generations ago who trusted you, who worshiped you, who loved you. We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. Sing this one more time.